Hello and welcome to episode 19 of After the Breach, a podcast for whale enthusiasts by whale enthusiasts. We're your hosts, captains and professional guides um, with Maya's Legacy Whale Watching on San Juan Island. I'm Sarah Shimazu. You know Jeff Friedman. Ahoy. We're really excited for this episode. Um, Joining us again is Jared Towers from Alert Bay, BC. Uh, He is the director of Bay Cytology. Jared was involved in a really recent uh, rescue of two big killer whales in southeast Alaska. So we're going to talk with him a lot about the details of that rescue as well as as some of his other current research uh, that's going on. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Sarah. How's it going? It's going well. Well, I'm really excited to talk to Jared about uh, the whale rescue up in Alaska. Yeah. And hear some details about that. So let's get Jared on here. Sounds good. Sounds good. So, well, thanks again for joining us. Yeah, too. thank you, Jared, for coming back on. No problem. It's nice to be here again. Yeah, enjoyed our conversation on the episode you were on before with the uh, the Type D Antarctic killer yeah, whales. Good one. Uh, but this this yeah. is going to be really cool because you were part of a whale rescue up in southeast Alaska in Barnes Lake. Where where exactly is Barnes Lake? Hey, Barnes Lake is. Well, first of all, it's it's not actually a lake. Um, it, its official name is Barnes Lake, but Barnes Lake is is more of a, a saltwater lagoon, and it has a north entrance and a south entrance, which are tidal. So at high tide, you know the ocean spills into the lake, and at low tide, the ocean spills out of it. Um, but it it looks a lot like a lake when you're inside. You can't see the ocean. Um, there's a lot of fresh water pouring into it. From uh, from another lake and river that uh, that pour down into Barnes Lake, and this is on Prince of Wales Island, off the northeast side of Prince of Wales Island, in southeast Alaska, um, and it's it's on the northeast side of Prince of Wales Island. You know, uh, the the neighboring water bodies would be Lake Bay and then Clarence Strait, right up at the top of Clarence Strait. And so, are there, there's a so two two entrances. And it sounds like, from from what I read, not such an easy uh, way to get in and out for wildlife, or maybe even for boats. <laughs> yeah, or boats, or you know, um, you can only really get in and out of there on um, on like a mid to high tide in a boat that doesn't draw very much. If you're a whale, it's a completely different story. You, you got to come in pretty close to high water slack. Or, you know, if you want to get out, same thing. And so back in, sometime in August, there were two killer whales uh, that were found in in the in, in the lagoon. Yeah. Um, August 17th, apparently. One of the, the fellows from the community of Kaufman Cove, and Kaufman Cove is a, a nice little community near Barnes Lake on Prince of Wales Island. It's got about 100 people population size and one of the guys who lives there was on his way into the lake in his boat and he was going through the south entrance and just next to him were two dorsal fins just cruising along in the shallows also heading into the lake at high water slack and he was shocked and amazed and um then of course you know every time anybody went into the lake over the following weeks there were these two killer whales in there not going anywhere and these these are two pretty big males. It's uh, T fifty one and T forty nine A two. Um, pretty, and and when when did you learn about uh, that they were there? 
Well, I found out in September, and uh, yeah, by that point, the whales had been in there for, I guess, three weeks, because I found out kind of early to mid-September. Um, I guess the idea initially that everyone had in Coffin Cove was that the whales should eventually live on their own, but um, eventually Noah was contacted, and uh, and the folks in uh, southeastern Alaska that work for NOAA are, are colleagues of mine, and I've worked with them before on some stranding issues and, and identification of big killer whales, both live and dead, um, for incidents like strandings. Um, and so they contacted me if I could let's see if I could ID these whales just to first figure out what ecotype they were, and um, and second, you know, to the individual level. All they gave me was a photo of T51. And it was obvious right off the bat. There's no other killer whale on the coast with a little teeny neck near the top of the dorsal fin. And, you know, P4982 was suspected just because there wasn't a good photo of that individual. Even the photo of T51 wasn't very good, but it was good enough to ID him. But uh, we had a submission, uh, a data submission on FinWave on July 9th, 2023. Um, Marcy Callowart off the southwest side of Vancouver Island had photographed T51 northbound with T49A2 and considering the second killer whale was you know male but you know like bigger than an adult female but smaller than an adult male like T49A2 I figured okay well a month and a half ago they were you know together at this point it was actually two months because it was early to mid-September so it's kind of like okay when they swam into the lake that was like five weeks after they were photographed pretty pretty good chance it's T49A2 when we finally got in there it was um he was the individual with T fifty one. That's amazing. Yeah, um, we don't really see T fifty one down here very often. Yeah, it's been a few years, I think, since I've seen him. But forty nine A two, we see quite a bit. Uh, yeah, with his mom and siblings, and sometimes with his uncle, forty nine C. But mm-hmm. uh, pretty amazing. I mean, it just shows the, you know, the geographic range that that they'll travel. Yeah, and all these little like tiny you know, coves and saltwater lagoons and areas that, you know, your average person coming out to see whales, like doesn't expect them to be like that close to shore in those kind of like tight areas. So they were in there for weeks. I mean, do they, did they have food in there? Well, yeah, we, I mean, that was a, the initial concern, right? Here's a couple of killer whales trapped in this lake. The lake is about a mile across and about half a mile wide. And and let's back up to 1994 when right. um, a group of offshore killer whales got stuck in the same place, of all places on the coast, <laughs> offshore killer whales wow. in Barnes Lake. And they were there for several weeks. And by the time that um, there was a, a scientist who lives in Seattle named Dave Bain, and um, Dave Bain was on scene for that, and he, he eventually managed to successfully drive them out using some Okumi pipes. And um, and I think it was the day after they succeeded in getting all the surviving killer whales out. I believe there was one or possibly two individuals that, that turned up dead. Um, and the idea around that was that there just wasn't a lot of food in the lake because they necropsied them and one of them, and there was there wasn't much in its stomach. So. Yeah, a big concern around food availability in that small space. But we have to remember that, you know, there's a lake feeding into Barnes Lake um, through a river, and that lake houses significant runs of coho salmon or silver salmon, as they're called in the U.S. And and uh, 
And so that may have been what enticed those offshores to come in. And similarly, perhaps T51 and T49E2 were following in some pinnipeds. Um, nobody had observed any potential prey in the lake. Um, but when we got there, we went in and um, Dave came up from Seattle. He, he saw a seal in the lake. And I, I got there the next day with um, my colleague Chloe and uh, a gal named Mandy from NOAA. And we saw another seal. And then the next day, we saw a stellar sea lion in there that, that actually looked terrified to see us. And, and I couldn't help wonder if he had a run with those killer whales before he was uh, he found his way out. He was near the south entrance. When we saw him, he just went into the south entrance and left. Um, so, yeah, definitely pinnipeds coming and going and, uh, and potentially um, more going than coming because by mid-September, that coho run is really drying up. And so, you know, a lot of those coho are up in the lake and are spawned out. So, you know, moving forward, probably not a lot of potential prey for those mammal-eating killer whales that were stuck in there. Very interesting. And, like, when you got on scene, like, did you get any I, – I know that you did um, fly the drone over them. Did you look at body condition? Like, how did they look kind of towards the end of this saga, I guess? <laughs> well, we were worried about body condition because of prey, but also because of the fresh water. You know, right. like the – top layer of the lake's all pretty fresh and uh, there's not a lot of seaweed or any of the things that, you know, grow in the ocean in there. And there, there are a bit, but, you know, not as much you'd expect in, as, uh, as what you'd see in the ocean. So, um, yeah, amazingly, you know, the first thing I couldn't help but recognize is that T49A2's skin looked better than ever. He's He's got the, <laughs> the classic, you know, kind of um, slopping skin on the dorsal fin like that a lot of adolescent males get in, in big killer whales and even northern residents and maybe even southerns. Um, anyways, his skin looked better than ever. T-51 looked good. Um, from the drone, um, they both looked really robust. Um, so it was like, okay, these guys have been eating. They might have been in here for you know several weeks at this point, but they've been getting a few things to eat along the way. So <laughs> well, was, that was good. Uh, pro- probably good for the uh, for the, the salmon run too with... Uh... With uh, fifty one and forty nine A two taking out the pinnipeds in that, probably letting was, letting more salmon no get up up the river. No doubt, yeah, it was a it was a win win. Well, um, so this continue. I think they're in the lake for an estimated like forty four days total, or something like that. It was. Yeah, that that sounds about right. It was it was about six weeks um, by the time we got them out of there. And when, like, when did did. Uh, did it come out that like, okay, we need to set up some kind of response and and intervention to get them out. And, and was there anything similar in the effort to when, when the offshores were, were trapped in there? Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, Mandy and Sadie, my colleagues at NOAA, um, they, they said, okay, you know, we've got a response plan. Dave's going to come up and we're going to get some Okumi pipes and, and try and get them out of the lake. And uh, and I forwarded along a, a paper that I co-authored in 2021 with some colleagues, not only here in BC, but also in the North Atlantic. Um, Eve Jourdain led that effort. And, and she's also led some similar efforts um, around killer whales in the North Atlantic, getting trapped in, in little lagoons and places that they can't seem to get out of. Um, I've been involved in similar situations with big killer whales, one with, T46C2 when she was just a, a little little kid and 
and she was stuck in Bent Harbor off the west side of Aristobal Island. And, and we, after a couple of weeks, she was, she had the peanut head and she was doing a lot of distress calling and we managed to get her out and, and it probably saved her life. Um, the rest was up to her after she got out of there and she managed to, she managed to do okay. Um, and then just a few years ago in 2018, um, I had led an effort to get T73B out of Comox Harbor and uh, using a playback experiment and, and that worked very well. So, you know, when we combined all these events and I, you know, there was, there were several of them over the years, there's a more than just a coolie pipes to consider. And, and so I, I just suggested you know, there it may require a bit, a bit more to to get these guys out. Not only because they're big killer whales and perhaps more resilient than than offshores in some ways, um, but also because banging pipes isn't perhaps the the best method. You know, you're you're getting a bit invasive with them. They might just swim away. After using it once or twice, they could completely ignore it. Um, especially being big, they're you know as well as I do. They're they're um they're pretty tough and not scared of much. So um so we thought well maybe we'll try beginning with with something else. And uh and I went up with some underwater speakers and a, a handful of different recordings and we also built a hooky lao um on site um just because that's a really non invasive way of, of moving odontocetes, especially Delphinidae. Um and uh and you know that was kind of the initial go to but it turned out we just we had these very short time windows. Um, you know, we, we could work for maybe an hour tops before we had to get out of there. Cause if we didn't, we'd be trapped in there for an entire tide cycle, which is 12 wow. hours, which means, you know, if we went in in the afternoon, like we did, we wouldn't be getting out till like 1am or 2am or something. So. Wow. It's amazing. Yeah. And yeah, yeah what, what was most interesting about the Okumi pipes um, last, just to, Quick, quick, quick side note. Uh, last summer, we had the um, fishing vessel sink off the west side of San Juan Island, and there was mm-hmm. like the diesel spill, and it was T65A3 and T49A2 together. And they were always back and forth and right next to the platform that had the vessel leaking diesel, and they were banging the pipes to try to discourage them, and no no reaction. No reaction at all. They were they just like back and forth it. right yeah. alongside it for quite a while. So. Yeah. I've had similar experience with Okumi pipes with um, a gray whale. And you might not expect that gray whales would respond as well as, uh, you know, a toothed whale to such deterrence activities. But, um, but yeah, that was definitely the case. I mean, it, it didn't really show much response at all. Um, it was another entrapment situation. And, um, yeah, and it just kind of left a bad taste in my mouth around using those things. It's just like, you know, if you, if you go in with a whole bunch of boats, and a big school of dolphins or something and each boat has okumi pipes and you got a real strategy around it and you know it you could probably drive them to their death it, it does happen in parts of the world where they hunt these animals but um but yeah just a couple whales with a few okumi pipes and you know it, it's a different story sure so tell us about uh about the the vocals and how how you led them out and but well before we get to that what like what was the response like in the community around uh, around the lake and and all the different organizations that were were involved in this I mean it seems like once it was realized that something had to be done it seems like it it kind of came together pretty quickly 
a big collaborative yeah. effort. Yeah, a lot, a lot of, of people involved in different organizations and probably also the, the community around, around the lake. Yeah. Well, thanks for asking. I mean, you, you really nailed it there with this, this big involvement. Um, you know, I, I got to hand it to Noah for just, you know, dealing with this in what I think was the most appropriate way, you know, getting in, dealing with it as quick as possible, um, coming in with, you know, the toolkit loaded, you know, Hukumi pipes, playbacks, um, and the Hukilau, and just making sure that we had all the resources we needed. Um, and, and just a, a spirit of inclusivity. And we don't get that very much in Canada when we're dealing with marine mammal incidents. And, uh, and there, it was a beautiful thing. Um, from the way that Noah handled it to, you know, the uh, inclusion of myself um, on behalf of Fisheries and Oceans Canada, um, the Orca Conservancy, which is who Dave Bain works for, and, um, and my student, Chloe Kotick, who's uh, doing her PhD, and she's involved in that organization as well. And then, you know, last but not least, the, the community of Coffin Cove, which um, reported this incident and also just showed up. Um, you know, like we did a community event uh, shortly after we all arrived and more than half the community showed up on nor- short notice. Um, we had, you know, about a dozen boats going into the lake, each with a pipe, you know, just in case we needed to use those boats to help drive those whales out. And everybody just showed up and wanted to participate and, and help save those whales. And, and together, that's what we did. I don't think it would have been possible with without everybody that was there, you know, and all the hospitality that they showed us while they were there from, you know, helping us get around the community and, and feeding us and these kinds of things. When you're in a small little community, it can be tough going in, knowing how to, you know, the logistics of it all and, and dealing with everything. And that was all handled just by folks who are volunteering their time and effort and boats and, and all that stuff. That's, that's really a, awesome. Yeah. It's wonderful to hear. And, and, you know, hopefully a, a but hopefully these kind of things don't continue to happen, but they probably will. But ho- hopefully this is kind of a template of, of how this should work. And it's, it's wonderful to hear. I mean, these are uh, obviously, you know, we, we love these animals and, and give them a great amount of respect. And so it's wonderful to hear uh, such a collaborative effort uh, by all these different people and different, different communities and different organizations coming together together. Uh, you know, selflessly just, just to help, help these two whales. Yeah. And there was other organizations that showed up as well. I, I, I should um, recognize that I, you know, I, I don't know them all very well because, you know, they're, they're based in Alaska, but Alaska Department of Fish and Game, for example, was present and, and others as well. So um, yeah, it was, it was amazing uh, to just, you know, be involved in such a collaborative effort and for it to work out. And it was a bit uncertain after our first day trying to respond. You know, we got in there, you know, we, we did an assessment and then we had a weather day when it was just impossible to go anywhere or do anything. And we went back in, I believe it was uh, the 28th and, um, of September. It was like, okay, today's our day. We're going in. And, and we threw everything we had at that situation and it did not work. It was a, it was a total failure. You know, we, we wanted to get those whales out the north exit or, you know, at the north entrance. And there's a big kelp patch, a, a really dense kelp bed there. And what we decided to do was, was use, a, use a playback to try and get them out into that north basin of the lake, which adjoins to the north exit channel. And so I went out to, you know, the part of the lake where that 
that North Basin uh, is basically the entrance to the North Basin. Uh, did the playback, um, managed to get the whale's attention, um, moved up into the North Basin more, did another playback, just a brief one, um, really got their attention. And, you know, T49A2 started breaching over and over again, wow. big breaches. Yeah. And then the, both of them started tail slapping as they were heading directly towards us. It's like, okay, let's get that speaker out of the water, get into the kelp bed. At this point, the, the tide was ebbing. So the kelp was all laying down and, and that end, exit channel was, you know, apparently kelp free. But if you look down into the water, you could see a dense kelp bed about three to four feet underneath us. Um, and the tide was running four or five knots. And the idea, like what happened with the offshores in 1994, was that if we could get them up into that area, they'd go over the kelp bed and then out the exit channel and then out into Lake Bay and, and that would be it. What happened instead was we got into the kelp bed up over it. I did a final playback. I'm not sure if the whales could hear it through the patchy kelp or anything, um, but they were coming that way anyways because that was a direction of travel of the playbacks that we had played before. And once they got into that kelp bed, it was, it was actually just T-51 who, who braved it. And we saw him coming and he wouldn't dive. He was just sharking at the, at the surface with his dorsal fin sticking out of the water. And he came about halfway over the kelp bed and, and he was just so hung up with kelp. Cause you got to remember, you know, the whale like that draws, you know, maybe six to seven feet or so, not including the dorsal fin with the pecs hanging down. And so he was dragging through that upper layer of kelp as he went through and he eventually aborted mission and did a 180 at the surface and then really had to undulate a lot, pump his tail hard just to get back into the lake. And as he was doing that, he was at, surf, at the surface the whole time and he was just loaded with kelp. Like the, oh, the front of his wow. dorsal fin had like probably a hundred strands around it. I don't even know what his pecs look like. But T49A2 was waiting there for him and then they just casually swam back into the lake and the Hukilau had been deployed about half to three quarters of the way, if I, uh, if I understand correctly. I was kind of around the corner in the exit channel by this point, so I didn't see it. But they just swam right around it. Um, and then the pipes and the other boats were, you know, the, the last level of defense. When they started banging, when there was a little gap between them, and, uh, and the whales just, just swam through that gap with all the, <laughs> all the boats banging on the pipes on both sides of them. And back into the lake, cool as characters, you know, cool as cucumbers, rather. So, um, and then by that point, the tide was running so hard, um, it was about to turn into, a, you know, a, a tidal rapid. And it was just like, we got to get out of here right now. Wow. So, yeah. We got out and reassessed. Well, I, I, have, I have a few questions. And, and one of them was going to be, well, how do you know you got their attention? And you, you answered that <laughs> with the, the breaches and the, and the tail slaps. Um, yeah. Really curious uh, your opinion on this um, because as you're describing the the kelp bed and, and T51 going through, I mean, we've seen on some of our trips where a seal is hiding in and wrapped up in a, in a kelp bed and not a very big one, and they could just plow right into the kelp bed and, and grab the seal, but it's like they don't do it. They just like pick one little piece at a time and pull the kelp bed away and... I mean, we've seen them in, in, you know, like a 10 square foot kelp bed and it takes them an hour and some, sometimes they give up, but it's like, there's something about kelp that they're just not into. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Um, 
I've seen them do that too. Like you have like a little harbor seal pup kind of resting on a kelp patty and they know it's there and they'll surround it and look at it and go underneath it and blow some bubbles and then eventually just leave, you know, instead of, instead of actually just ripping that kelp patty apart and, and eating the seal. Um, so that's, that's really interesting. I, I should back up a little bit too, though. And um, the boat that Dave and Mandy was on had a hydrophone in the water. And so the other reason why we know that they heard the playbacks was because uh, they were responding. They were wow. calling over again loudly, like, hey, um, I don't know what they were saying, but they obviously heard heard the, the brief playbacks I had made and, and it piqued their curiosity. So, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting about the kelp, but you're right. They just, for some reason, they don't, they don't like it. And T51 gave it a shot and then just, he had to, he had to quit. He was like, no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my question about the vocals was, um, were there specific vocal, like specific whale vocals that you played to like entice them? Were there specific individuals that they like associate with that you, that you used, or was it just kind of a general call like recording you had? Yeah, no, it's a, that's one of the best questions. I, I was talking to a colleague here in, in Canada about this just before this event even happened. And we were dealing with a similar situation and he, he happened to say, Oh, I've got a bunch of, you know, Biggs recordings and like, as if any would do. And, you know, maybe, maybe if you, you just play something, you might get a response, but you got to take into account how clever these animals are. And, and in a situation like this, give it your best shot right from the get go. I mean, and the beauty of this big scale whale population is that we have so much contextual knowledge. Um, so, you know, looking in the database was the first thing I did. Uh, this database has been, um, it has encounters in it um, from photo ID work dating all the way back to the early 70s and even the odd historical data dating back to 1958. Wow. And so T51 has um, uh, about 40, 42 or 44 encounters in that database since 1987. He's not a really commonly photographed whale. So I looked at who his travel associates were and did the same thing for T49A2 a lot more commonly seen. He's been seen over 200 times since he was uh, born in 2007. So, you know, looking at shared associates was one of the first things I did. Um, who are whales that both of these whales um, like to spend their time with? And there's so many other things to consider from recording quality. You know, you don't want to play a recording that has like a boat in the background, even if it's faint or, you know, um, uh, tide, tidal noise or or anything that, that might tip these off, these whales off, that it's a fake, you know? <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Like, I mean, they're and, smart, uh, right? Yeah. They are, yeah. And we know from Northern Resident Acoustic Studies that, you know, certain individuals, you know, they, they make the same calls that, you know, their brothers and sisters have been taught, but they have their own unique voices. And it would be really silly to think that the same isn't for killer uh, big killer whales i mean especially considering they all share the same limited repertoire up and down the coast so how they actually know who's making those calls or not very likely comes down to individual voice recognition so the other thing to consider when you're selecting a recording for playback is not only who uh that recording is being made of like who was present in that encounter when that recording was made i should say but whether or not those individuals, any of those individuals are dead, um, as well as whether or not any of the individuals that you're actually playing it to were also present in that <laughs> recording. And, right. you know, 
Yeah, because there's there's been a playback experiment that was very probably you know playing a whale's own vocalizations <laughs> to it, and it didn't end well. <laughs> so, oh my God. Yeah, yeah. And the other the other thing is, I mean, if you play a dead whale, it, that, that's just cruel. You know, uh, it's, it would be like for us seeing a ghost. Yeah, you know, that because whales are acoustic animals. So yeah, so I, I chose a pretty high quality recording of of some uh, females who are are now mostly post-reproductive, but at the time the recording was made were, were reproductive and that um, are all still alive and that these whales, uh, both of them have a sightings history with. And uh, yeah, and that's, that's kind of, that's what I did. It was also a great recording with lots of different call types um, with not a over, lot of overlap. So it was nice and easy to, to cut it down into little five to 10 second clips, just uh, just one or two calls each. So, so you're, you're, you're enticing them with, with, uh, girl voices. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whales, you know, they've both known for a long time. Are, are you able to share who, who, who that was that you, the, that yeah. was in the group of, yeah, it was, it was, um, T34 through T38. Oh, oh wow. okay. All right. Very, yeah. very cool. Yeah. And that's uh, it's an older recording, but all those whales are, are still alive. And, and they're, uh, yeah, they're ones with fighting history with both those, both those males. So yeah, it's, uh, we gave it our best shot considering everything that, you know, all those, all those different things I, I just mentioned and, and, uh, maybe it would have worked with any random, you know, big killer whale call, but, but I have a feeling that they would have caught on much sooner if, if there was. You know, uh, if we played the same recording back to them, you know, over and over again, or, you know, or if, if there was uh, boat noise in it, or, or even if it was whales that were unfamiliar, it, it might have spooked them. Um, you know, we, we know that despite there being hundreds and hundreds of whales in this big killer whale population up and down the coast, that many individuals have their preferred travel partners, and often they'll just ignore another group that's, um, that's within vocal range of them just because they don't want to hang out with them. It's, uh, I really appreciate you walking us through that, be, that whole process because, you know, you hear like, oh, that you, you played vocals, but you don't really think at, like at first glance of all the work that has to go into who do we play, what vocals, and going through those vocals, making sure that, those two whales aren't in there. I mean, it, it's, it really is so much more in-depth and complicated yeah. than it sounds just reading the account. Yeah. Yeah. The thing with, the, you know, Okumi pipes, a hukilau, you know, a, a playback recording, any of these methods that, that are in the toolbox to actually move killer whales is that um, they, they, they only work for a very short amount of time before the whales figure it out. How to, how to avoid them and that they're not threats or not real, depending on what tool you use. So um, that's why you kind of have to go in, in my opinion, with, you know, giving it your best shot right from the get go. Because, sure. um, yeah, killer whales figure things out pretty quick. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so 28th doesn't work to get them through the North Channel. What, what happened next? Yeah, we regrouped. We went back to the fish plant. Um, you know, there's about 35 or 40 of us in there, um, to sit around and talk about what worked and what didn't. And, um, I just kind of, 
I talked to Dave first and, and, um, and, you know, I just said, what do you think about that South exit channel? Um, you know, and, and he kind of seemed to uh, think about it. And then we talked with Mandy and Chloe, um, and, you know, and, and we just thought, you know, let's give that a shot because there's no kelp in there. It's a bit more shallow. It's like a double S turn. Um, but the beauty of it is that that South exit channel goes slack before the North exit channel. So we could give it a try. And in the meantime, send out a bunch of other boats, um, to go into the North exit channel and cut the kelp. And, and so the next day we went in and a whole pile of boats went into the North exit channel and with machetes and wires and just started trying to cut a path through that kelp at slack. Um, just just down the center of it to to try and just you know create space for those whales and the thing was that the the tide went slack first in the south exit channel and um we got the hukilau boats um just ready near the entrance like very close to shore i I asked them to shut off their engines and be really quiet and and then uh, dave and mandy were um out in a boat kind of closer to the um out into the lake a little ways and um, once we could see those two whales, as soon as we got in, things happened really quick. Um, they were on the other side of the lake heading for the North Basin. And um, I went out and, and did a playback uh, with Chloe in the boat that we were in. And it got their attention. The other boat said, okay, we, we heard your playback. And, uh, you know, a little while later, not too long, they heard a response. And so I did another playback just to kind of solidify uh, their interest. And then we started up and we moved and we moved to the, the beginning of the South exit channel. And at this point they were on a deep dive. So we didn't actually know, um, we could hear them calling, but we didn't know where they were. And when they came up, they had covered about half that distance across the lake wow. and they're heading right, right towards us at about seven knots, like kicking up a big bow wave. <laughs> it's like, Oh geez, here they come. <laughs> um, so I did another brief playback. Um, and, uh, and, they were heading right for me. Um, and, and then we started up, I asked Nick, the driver said, you know, can you take us into the, the South exit channel here? And just before the first corner, it's about six feet deep. It's, it's one of the most shallow parts of that little, that little channel. And we, we got in there the tide was perfectly slack. Um, I asked Chloe to lower the, the speaker down three feet. So it was halfway to the bottom. And once we were on a direct line of sight with those whales, as they were kind of, coming to investigate that last playback near the south exit channel near the the beginning of it at least just out out from the beginning of it in the lake we did that final playback and that got them in to that that channel officially and as soon as they were they were in i launched the drone uh, we started up the boat and that hukila went out behind them super quick and uh and we went around the corner and then i was monitoring the progress on the drone and you could see T-51 struggled to get over that shallow spot. Like, you know, he kind of turned last second um, because where he was going just wasn't going to work. And he ended up, it, it kind of looked like he ended up, you know, dragging his belly a bit on, on that spot. And T-49A2 kind of glided over it just off to the side of the most shallow part. And, um, and as they came into that channel, you know, they're tilting their heads back and forth. Um, and, you know, to me, it looked like they were kind of looking for those other whales. They should have been able to see wow. them if they were in there. It was that in the right? 
and yeah, and then we just we just putted out. We were doing about six to eight knots, um, you know, around those corners, and they were just right behind us the whole time, just doing the same speed, even doing a bit more than that at one point because I was so focused on the drone, and Chloe was, you know, taking notes, and Nick was looking forward, looking for rocks, and I asked him to uh, to turn the the, the depth sounder off because I, you know, I didn't want to give us away when we were doing the playbacks with the click, click, click of the depth sounder which also then he had to turn the GPS off. So he was kind of going by memory wow, and wow. You know, just kind of looking out for all the shallow spots <laughs> as he was going. Um, and anyways, we're all doing our own thing. And I look back and these whales are like, you know, 30 feet behind the boat, like a <laughs> boat like behind us. I was like, holy smokes, like, Nick, can you see that? Um, they, you know, it looked like they were coming right for us. They were. And uh, I didn't know what to expect, but we sped up a little bit. And, um, you know, I was giving progress reports to everybody in the lake saying, you know, we're, we're halfway through. You know, we're almost all the way through, and there's this big, beautiful Canadian maple tree at the uh, the the other side of that channel, and an old cannery with some you know falling apart buildings, and really beautiful little spot. And I I thought, okay, we're it looks like we're out here, but I'm gonna wait till we're at the maple tree. And you know, about a minute later, they were just steaming past the maple tree at about eight knots. And so I called back and said, you know, they're out, guys, and everyone was oh, uh, awesome. you know cheering and. Um, yeah, it was pretty amazing. And, and you know what, they, they had to, of course, get the Hukilau back on board before they could get out of the lake because they'd kind of blocked off their own exit. <laughs> you know, so that was the first thing they, they put the Hukilau back together and, uh, back on board. And then everybody came out and we, we followed them out into Lake Bay. Wow. That had to feel great. Yeah. It was, it was very cool, you know, just to, just to have it all work out the way it should after, you know, a, this attempt with the gray whale not, not long before and, you know, and that, that didn't end too well. So, you know, it's just nice to see how things work when the management is in place to do it right and, and everybody comes, you know, and, and works together on this. So was, was there a big celebration with everybody that, that night? Oh yeah, yeah. We we stayed out a bit. You know, we wanted to we wanted to monitor those whales and see where they went. We spent a couple hours with them just nice. to see what they would do. And they they kind of they had a pretty straight course out into Lake Bay and around Three Fingers, and um and then they milled around a little bit. There was some humpbacks bubble netting out there, and they they kind of gave them a path. And, and then they just kind of headed right for um you know through Clarence Strait over to the other side of Clarence Strait and and uh, just on a beeline and. We didn't see anything too unusual about their behavior. They were just cruising around together. Um, and uh, and so when we got back, you know, a bunch of the folks, most of them were at the doghouse, um, the, the, the local bar there right next to the dock. And we were met when we came in by uh, some of our friends there in Kaufman Cove who'd been hosting us and handling all the logistics and facilitating these efforts. And they were jazzed and you know, we were, we were pretty happy to see them. And so there's hugs all around and, and they said, you know, no, no, none of you guys are buying drinks tonight, you know? And, <laughs> and so we just went into the doghouse and everybody, you know, covered our beverages and we stayed there for about an hour or so and had a couple of drinks. It was, it was really nice, really nice, you know, feeling in the air and just, you know, when, when everybody works together, you know, things, things work out. So it was, it was cool. And some of the folks that were there, not only Dave Bain, but, you know, a couple other community members have been there in 1994 as well during that one. So, you know, two big successes following two very unusual events in Barnes Lake over a span of almost 30 years. Wow. 
What what an incredible story. I mean, this this could easily be done into a Hollywood movie. Yeah, you know, this this first time it happened, I understand that there's a, a reality TV show called Rescue 911, like hosted by William Shatner. And so they actually made like a you know, little 30 minute series out of it. And um, yeah, so I'm I'm sure, you know, we, we kind of kept this all in the DL because, you know, I've, I've dealt with situations like this before and, you know, the media has a way of complicating matters by sure. spinning their own narratives Absolutely. and, you know, and, and spreading everybody thin too, you know. So we, we just kind of kept it local and, and did our thing and, you know, feel good about that. And, you know, there's been a, there's been a bit of local pickup in some of the Southeastern Alaskan, um, you know, media outlets and that was really cool. Um, but, uh, otherwise, otherwise not much. I think that was one of the things that, I mean, the whole, whole collaboration and, and successful, um, you know, rescue was the big thing, but like not hearing about it until after I until was like afterwards. shocked and I was, you know, impressed as well. That was a huge, huge thing I was impressed by. Yeah. We, I mean, we, <laughs> cause during that time, like we, we saw the 49 A's, I think we saw 49 C and we're like, where's 49 A two been? But we had no idea <laughs> until after, Yeah, which is great. I mean, it, it we appreciate everything that, that was done and the way it was done, including the fact that no one knew until, until after. Yeah. You know, we, I've done that a few, a few times with a few different events and, um, it's easier to do in more remote locations. You know, when you get north of Vancouver Island, it's, um, it's, it's, there's not a lot of people, there's no cell service in a lot of places. Um, it's just you and, you know, the elements, including the whales. So there's been a few cases like that with, you know, T46C2, for example. I mean, that was, I mean, there's no cell service out there and it's just a matter of, getting the job done and and um yeah and later on afterwards it was easier to talk about it but you know you never know what's going to happen in these situations either you know it, it could turn into a really really uncomfortable situation if um if your tools don't work and if if whales die and um and that's that's no fun so for sure um, so you guys followed them for a few hours. Have have either of them been been seen? I know they're uh, like like you mentioned. I mean, they're between here and there. It's it's pretty remote. Right. Uh, not a lot yeah. of people, and not not a lot of documented sightings. Um, you know, especially this time of year when we start getting into weather. Yeah, exactly. No sightings of either of them that I'm aware of yet. But you know, I I anticipate that 4982 will will show up. You know. At, at, at least he'll show up and probably sooner than 51 unless they stay together and, uh, and show up somewhere. But 51, you know, he, he likes those more remote parts of the coast, you know, just looking at his sightings history and 4982, you know, he, he loves to hang out, you know, um, around the Salish sea and all around Vancouver Island. So I, I feel like if they, if they split up a bit, you know, he'll, he'll probably turn up back here and if he stays with 51, maybe less of a chance that it'll turn up back here anywhere, but you never know. I mean, they're, they're showing up, they showed up off the Fino there in, in July together and um, anything's possible. Yeah. Every, every day that we're going out right now, uh, you know, every morning when we head out off the dock, I'm like, maybe, maybe we'll see 49 a two today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, 51 showed up off Victoria some, some years as well. So they very well could. And, you know, after, after T-73B, after getting him out of Comox Harbor in 2018, it wasn't, 
the next day he showed up right in front of my house in Alert Bay. Um, you know, he, <laughs> he traveled that distance and just like overnight, but uh, it wasn't in next summer until he was seen again. He's another adult wow. male that just spends a lot of time up in Southeast Alaska and more remote parts of the coast. And, and when he was seen, it was up in Tracy Arm, Southeast Alaska. And, uh, you know, so it, it, it can be a while till, till they turn up again. And if, if memory, if my memory is correct, he is the one who took, uh, took that sailboat for a ride. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I was, that was, that was what happened. It was kind of like, Oh, okay. Um, we, we should try and do something about this. I mean, <laughs> you remember, you remember Luna, you know, yeah. like little yeah. Luna stuck in off Nuke Island or Nuka Sound. And, you know, he was a fraction of the size of T-73B and, and he was, he was messing with boats and breaking their rudders and stuff. And, you know, that situation didn't end well, but in part because it wasn't a response mounted soon enough. And it was kind of like, okay, T-73B, this animal's like three to five times the size of, of Luna. If he starts getting comfortable playing with boats, we've got a problem. Right? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'll have to, um, for those of you who are not familiar with that story, it's, there's a great YouTube video. We'll put a, put a link up to that one. He's the, he's the whale I think of when I tell people that they can travel like, easily over a hundred miles in 24 hours. Cause Comox Harbor to your house. Like I was just like, you know, they can it easily. Yeah. So Jared, during this um, conversation, you mentioned uh Finwave that, that uh, Sarah and I are aware of, but probably most of our listeners are not. And that, that's a, a yeah. research tool that you're great, developing. Great would, tool. Would love, love, uh, for you to share more about that and, and how you came up with that, sure. what it is, what you're hoping to uh, accomplish using that. Yeah. Well, it, it was really helpful in this case, you know, making or just getting a heads up on who T-51 was probably traveling with. But also when it comes to contextual knowledge, you know, I, I mentioned, you know, the number of encounters we have of each whale in the database and and it just feels quite natural to, to move forward with the available technology to make that database more openly accessible and also encourage more data submissions. You know, every year more and more people are taking photos of big killer whales. And we, you know, the way I was trained in this field is that you don't make an ID without a photograph. Um, it's like saying you saw somebody, um, but there's really no proof of that unless there's a picture or video of it. That's why we have yeah. surveillance cameras. No picture, know? no proof, so, <laughs> right? No okay. picture, no proof. Um, and that's that's kind of the you know the, the pretext under which we operate when it comes to loading a database with with encounters and and also keeping track of these whales you know over space uh, through space and time. So um, I mentioned this database that you know I I work with and it's it's been created by the Cetacean Research Program at Fisheries and Oceans Canada. And um, it's largely been managed by basitology over the years, over the last kind of 10 years or so. So what we've done is we've trained AI, um, or at least machine learning capabilities, to help us expedite the process of ID by not only um, developing this model, which, which guesses which killer whales are which when it comes across photos of them, but also putting that, implementing it into a, an online platform where anybody can sign up, submit their photos, and then get their um, their data put into the system. So if they got a great photo, for example, um, we would make that a profile image, and you know their image would be used for the the reference 
image of that whale. And this is happening every year as whales grow, especially calves. You know, they change they change their appearance of their dorsal fin and saddle patch um, quite frequently. So, um, so yeah, it's just a basically a, a living document that's housed online. We have um, we decided to backload it with with twelve years of data, and we're actually still uploading that data. We have over three thousand encounters uploaded on FinWave wow. now. I think there's over two hundred and ninety thousand photos or something, and um, and we have over 200 users. We, we haven't made it public, although the idea is to make it open access. Um, it, we're afraid of making it public because, you know, we want to make sure our server is robust enough to handle it. And so if, if any of the listeners would like to contribute to the, the database and, and have access to it, they're welcome to reach out. But for now, and again, talking about media, you know, we, we haven't, you know, talked about it on social media or, you know, on any other interviews or anything, because it's kind of like a slow trickle. You know, we want to make sure that it's actually functional and people find value in it. And if they do, then um, then we'll keep working on it and, you know, we'll keep making it better. And eventually, after our next server migration, we'll, we'll make it open access and start bringing on other populations. Um, it's really been expediting the process of analysis and, and also just um, making the data available for everyone. You know, right now, a lot of the way we deal with data is that we get these data submissions and then people naturally have a lot of questions about the population and how their data is being used. Um, now they can make their own queries. Um, you know, they can answer their own questions just by utilizing the search um, functions on that platform and they can see how their data is being used. They can visualize it in context of all the other data of, of those whales in particular, or just even look at their own data and, um, and see a, a list of every single whale that they photo identified or, you know, export that into a CSV and use it for their own studies. Um, the idea is really around um, stepping away from, from data ownership and, and making this beautiful database available to everybody who wants to use it um, as long as they use it for good purposes. That's great. Yeah. I, I fully support that. Well, and, and as you know, like I'm on it though, I'm, backlogged mm-hmm. and I need to up, update my my photos on there but I've been slowly getting encounters in hopefully now a little bit more quickly since I'm not on the water all the time well and I just think of like you know with with 12 years of of backloading data and where this can go with yeah. all the people that are seeing uh, especially big killer whales up and down the coast mm-hmm. um yeah it'll it will have there will be so much data and so much learning that can be done about associations and travel patterns mm-hmm. if 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 we are smart enough to figure it out <laughs> yeah and and that's where you know a lot of this technology helps us i mean we have a co-occurrence um, matrix built into it so you can see um exactly who travels with whom by year or overall um it's uh, it's really neat and and it's just all going to get better as long as we can you know keep up with the workload and and keep um securing funding to to drive it. And, you know, I, I think we'll be able to do that because right now it is what it is. And it's, I find it amazing. I, I just walk around with my tablet sometimes like doing searches and, and being like, this is amazing because it's so much better than our old database. But um, in three years, it's going to be something else. And in five and 10 years, it's going to be something completely next level with the way, you know, technology is, is increasing. So um, yeah, it's really exciting times for, for FinWave and we hope, yeah, it'll be, open fully open in the coming months sweet that's awesome 
Well, we will, we're going to post uh, certainly a link to Basetology uh, if people are interested in checking out all the cool stuff that, that Jared is doing. Uh, really appreciate you coming back on with us. Yeah, it's always a pleasure to have you on. Yeah, it's really nice to catch up with you guys and, and talk about this. It's, it's fun to talk about. And, um, you know, it was one of those really, really cool situations in the end. And, uh, yeah, I mean, those, those whales would have survived in there a bit longer. But, you know, with the, the days getting shorter and, and um, you know, the food sources potentially, you know, drying up in there, we, we decided to, to go ahead with the effort and it worked out. And, uh, yeah, so it's, it's really exciting that that worked. And, and uh, it's nice to have the opportunity to chat about it. So thank you both. Yeah, well, yeah. thank you and to you and everybody involved. Absolutely. Going <laughs> the extra miles, not just one mile, but, oh, man, yeah. I can't even imagine. Yeah, thank you so much, Jared. Wow. Well, what a cool, st- I mean, what a, a cool story, amazing response. Like the collaboration is just, I mean, that's what we talk about here. Like on the water here is like how much we value collaboration. And that was just an amazing example. And that's of what can be, be accomplished. And, you know? and that's how it should be. I mean, obviously with everything, but like with whales, it should be all collaboration Absolutely. all the time. Right. Yeah. Um, but what an incredible story. I mean, I'm really, I'm still very struck by like, you know, you just gloss over, oh, you play vocals, but mm-hmm. you, you don't stop and think like you get with, with these animals. I mean, you probably get, they're so smart. You get one shot, right? Sure. And if you play in vocals and you didn't realize that they're in those vocals and they're like, <laughs> right? yeah, whatever. And then you play them other vocals. It's, they're going to be like, you know, I've, I've been down this road, yeah. dude. I know this is a fake. Yeah. Or like Jared said, you know, if you played vocals and there was a whale that has died right. in there, can you imagine like the potential ramifications of that? Right. Um, right. Just so much that goes into it. You know, I, when we were talking about um, like this episode and having Jared on, I was thinking like, man, I really, you know, I'm kind of curious about like who he played the vocals of to like entice them to come out of the lake. Um and just like you said, you know, I, I even thought about that, but I didn't even go deeper than that. Right. Right. Just, exactly. Like, you just, you don't think about it yeah. and how much work he must've put into that right. to figure out not just who, but then going through all the vocals mm-hmm. to make sure that, that, and, and those encounters to make sure neither of those guys were there. Right. Um, just really fascinating. <laughs> and, you know, now I'm like, wow, we, we should have him back on just to talk about the the 73B. Um, oh, there's so many things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we could have we could we could have him on a lot of more episodes. Yeah. Um, well, we should. We will. <laughs> um, yeah. What what what? Just an amazing guy, and uh, we'll put a bunch of stuff in the in the show notes. Um, but we should talk uh, quickly about recent sightings and then we'll go into meet the matriline before uh before we end this episode because we're uh it's a pretty long one but yeah it's let's worth uh it. it is no it's i i didn't want to cut that but short by time i wanted to get the full yeah. story and and just the imagery playing in my head as he was describing both both day, the day that ended in failure and then the day yeah. where they got out i mean just uh i really like this would make a sweet movie yeah and and when I first saw the drone footage of the rescue 
and of them, you know, on the second day when they were successful in getting them out through the South um, Channel, like looking at that, watching that drone video, and I had pulled up the like Google Maps view of that lake and mm-hmm. was just like watching, like and looking at this and just going, oh my gosh, like even on the Google Maps view, like the north entrance is just white water you know uh, they wow. took it at a different title time but right um it's just it's just intense so i encourage like our listeners look it up like look up kaufman cove on google maps it's just to the northwest i think of kaufman cove um is the lake barnes barnes lake and it's just incredible to see that and like in combination with the footage that jared got so awesome so let's let's talk a little bit before we move on to uh Meet the match line. Exactly. And we're going to have to, I think we're going to have to do the 49As because of 49A2. Yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about, not a lot to say, but a little bit about recent sightings. We're, I mean, we're slowing down our tours, but the sightings have still been pretty incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Southern residents are down in the sound as of today, though. I think there sounds like they might be coming back out. I think it's, is it just Chase? Just uh, J-Pod? I think it's, I, I actually honestly don't know. Um, I know J's and K's were down there. And some of L's actually were down there recently, but I'm not sure who does uh, this time. Okay. At least Jay's. At least Jay's. Okay. Well, and we were uh, we went out on the water all day yesterday, just our crew trip, and lots going on out there. Had some epic humpbacks. I mean, we probably saw overall at least a dozen humpbacks up in yeah, the Strait of I'd Georgia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really cool to be out there, and and like kind of have that. It's been a while since we've been out there, and and just been able to look around and just see like. Oh, there's a humpback whale. Oh, there's two humpback whales over there. And, you know, just like wherever you're looking, you basically you are going to see a humpback whale. Yeah, easy, easy to find them up there right now. And they are, it's almost like this is the foreplay before Maui. <laughs> um, they're super social. I think we spent a, a good amount of time with three awesome humpbacks. Yeah. Uh, ro- just rolling all over each other. Yeah, it definitely seemed kind of like, and it'll be interesting to see once we get IDs on the other two, but I know Fader was one of them and he's a male. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see if, if we know the, the sex on the other two, cause it just, it sure seemed a little bit like kind of like that almost competition kind of like energy. Right. Right. And that's, I mean, to me, this is the best time of year for humpbacks, October, November, December yeah. uh, up here, because it's, you're seeing a lot of, it, it's like pre breeding water behavior. Mm hmm. Yeah, definitely. They were super chill, but kind of like rolling, trumpeting a little bit at each other, you know, rolling their tails around. And there were some spy hops that I missed, but, uh, you know, I was driving the boat at that point, I think. And lots of surface time. So yeah. really, really awesome to see. It's like they're not really feeding much as much anymore. There's lots of social time. So mm-hmm. pretty, pretty cool to see. And we saw uh, they were kind of sandwiched in between in our viewing by two different groups of killer whales. Yeah. Yeah. So um rochelle shout out to rochelle um shout out to sailor sea orca squad yep um saw orcas in active pass that morning and so we went up there and didn't find them right away no but it was pretty lumpy out there it it was yeah it wasn't great conditions to find whales uh you know two threes occasional four footer yeah um and then we, we ended up finding those humpbacks and spent the three humpbacks and spent a little bit of time with them mm-hmm. and then continued on and ended up finding the 123s. And T46C2, oh, Sam. C, yeah, 46C2 is in, in with them, which was kind of unexpected. It, it was actually kind of funny because, um, you know, Mark 
had been talking to us on the radio um, about the whales that he found down off Beecher Bay. And he had the 46 Bs and B1s, I think, is what I heard over the radio. Right. And he um, said, you know, possibly C2. Oh, did he say I didn't hear yeah. that? But I was like, oh, I wonder if Sam is with them because she, she had been with them the last time we saw the B1s. Right. And and then, you know, we found these killer whales and the first whale that popped up was Sam. And I was like, well, that answers that question. <laughs> and then later on, we saw the 34s and 37s going through Active Pass. <laughs> through Active Pass again. Yeah, which was, that was, uh, that was absolutely beautiful. Uh, yeah. If you've never seen whales going through Active Pass, it is, it is pretty special. Yeah, it was lovely. Nice that there weren't like four fairies in there at the same time with all the wakes, but Well, there was there was one that one went through fairy. and and yeah. a few of them were playing in their in their in the wake. wake. Yeah. yeah. I have a pretty crazy photo of T37 that looks like she's like right in front of the fairy as it's going, but she was actually like quite a ways on the other side. So we are seeing, we're still seeing lots of whales. We don't have a ton of trips left, mostly weekends. Um we'll be running uh Thanksgiving week. Uh, and our Black Friday all day tour. How yeah, is that filled up yet? It is. It is. That is full. Oh, all right. Yeah. And then uh, we will shortly in the next day or so have our schedule online for our 2024 trips that you can start booking. Crazy. And we have our photo workshop all set and uh, details coming on the Silver Bank trip. Yeah. So send us an email or a message if you're interested in hearing more about that, um, getting the details about the, you know, cost and the payment plans and um, all, all the good stuff. So just send us an email because I'm going to send out that those emails um, with the details in the next week um, to, to everybody who has, has sent an email so far. Yeah. So if you're interested in joining us on, on the Silver Bank with the humpbacks there in 2025, it's uh, February 2025, uh, send us an email at... Uh, after the breach podcast at gmail.com. I just watched Jeff have kind of like a brain fart right there. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> wait, I, which email address is ours? <laughs> so, all right. Awesome. Well, well let's, uh, let's move on to, to meet, meet the match line and talk about the 49 A's. All right. So I think it's fitting that for meet the match line that we talk about the 49 A's since, uh, 49 a two was a big, part of this episode oh and yeah like I half the episode <laughs> and I, I i'm really like every day that we go out i'm like is today the day that we see him and i'm so curious if we see him with 49c or if he's back with mom and siblings so who are the 49as yeah well it's it's interesting like as we've kind of the last few years like l- looked through our sightings here like to me the 49as were whales that we saw quite a bit you know and 2017 2018 like they were here quite a lot and i feel like i haven't seen them as much in the last couple of years but um they're still around quite a bit um and t49a is the daughter of t49 who has passed away um and as jeff mentioned jeff as you mentioned um t49c she has uh, a brother and a sister t49b as well um but t49a man I was trying to th- remember her nickname. Uh, born in 1986. I should remember that. See, aren't you happy that I gave you that iPad charger? You didn't have to do this totally by memory. You didn't give me an iPad charger. I thought I did. No. So Are you doing this by memory? Or I am. <laughs> so 1986. This born. is how good Sarah is. Um, she has six offspring. She's kind of a super mom. I mean, a lot of them are. 
because they're just having babies left but and she, right. Yeah, but she's she's a baby maker for sure. But six offspring, all surviving. And we talk about them a lot. So T49A1, Noah, the big male uh, that we see quite a bit, he, you know, was with mom for, like, pretty tight with mom for oh, oh, many, many years. And then I think when T4985 was born, that was when he kind of split off. He split like, off and went off with the 49Bs. Right before she was, yeah, right before she was born. Yeah, he went off with his aunt and cousins mm-hmm. and then came back after. Yeah, because she was first seen in late in 2017, I want to say. And in 2018 in April, I think it was, we saw the reunion. Right. That, we, I was going to say, that was like when I was really starting to first learn about Big's killer whales and we were starting to see them more often and we had the it, we were out there the first day that 49a1 came back to join his family right because he had been were, seen separate the day before t49a with the rest of the kids had been seen the day before not together right and then we went out we one, had two trips with them yep yeah, and and they were just like going off him. The whole time. Well, like, it was, I think it was 49A2 was all over 49A1 yeah. the entire day. Yep. Like was just all Rolling, over. breaching. Yeah. yeah, it was it was cool to watch. And, you know, actually not whale related, what one of the most um, memorable things about that, tr- the second trip was. Um, I, know what you, I know what you're going to say. I <laughs> when we got to Greenpoint yes. and all the mouflon sheep had come down the hill and all the stellars were freaked out and they were looking, they were like they were looking, looking up at, the hill at like the mouflon sheep. Yeah, it was like a, 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 a standoff. Standoff with mouflon sheep and stellar sea lions. Yeah, so that was my most memorable encounter with a T49 ace. No. Um, so Noah, sometimes with them, sometimes not. I would say like half and half now. Yeah. Sometimes we see them with the family. And same same now with forty nine eighty two. Although I, I think forty nine eighty two not is even not a fifty half. fifty. No, no. he's I would, very rarely with the family. Rarely he. So I think we've talked about he, last year the butcher boys. He was uh, he was one sixty five a three. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then but we see him quite a bit with his uncle forty nine C and forty nine eighty two are together quite a bit. Yeah, he yeah he does hang out and, and off, he bounces around. It'd be interesting once I, you know, once we all are uploading our encounters to Finwave to see really like what How his, much, yeah. you know. I'm half expecting him to show up with 65A5 and <laughs> then yeah. decide who can get in more trouble. <laughs> so um, Jude, T4982, who is one of the two whales that was stuck in the lake uh, that we talked about this episode, was born in 2007. Uh, and he was the second of her of her sons, because uh, Nan has had four sons in a row. Uh, so T4981, Noah, 4982, Jude in 2007, 4983, born in 2011, and then 4094, born in 2014. And then threw us all for a loop when she had a girl in 2017. Finally a girl. Finally a girl. Uh, so T4095, born in 2017, and then now we have little Charlie. Well, he doesn't, he or she, we don't know, doesn't officially have a nickname yet. But I think in so many of us are calling him or her Charlie. Mm-hmm. It's going to stick. Yeah. So we call this whale, or I've been calling this whale nicknamed Charlie. You can say we. We. Um, because they have an, the cutest underbite. And there was a whale, T1, very famous whale, 
uh, that we'll tell the story of on a on another episode, um, whose name was Charlie Chin, and they had the same a similar underbite. I think Charlie Chin was probably genetic, and I kind of think T forty nine eighty six might have been an injury, but um, such a cute underbite, so cute. So looks looks similar to Charlie Chin T one, so we do call it Charlie. And Charlie's almost two. Is that a uh, year and a half? Uh, yeah, it will be two years um, early next year. Okay. Yeah, almost two. Awesome. So Very cool family. We see them periodically throughout the year. Like, they're one of those families we can see them any time. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can see any of them any time, but they're typical where we wouldn't say, oh, we see them mostly in the summer. Like, I would say, if anything, we see them, like, more in the, like, shoulder seasons and winter than... In the height of summer. In the height of summer. But we but there are, have time. been years that we yeah. yeah, that we have seen them quite a bit. Like when forty nine A five uh was a uh yeah. newborn, we saw them quite a bit. So yeah. like you can see them any any time really. Yeah, I mean, they are definitely ones that we see around here quite a bit. I always feel funny saying that because it's like we can see any of them anytime mm-hmm. and they do have kind of patterns and preferences, but then those change quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, we just don't know like we don't know anything really. Like, we know nothing. <laughs> but um they they do seem to change things up and we don't know why what prompts these changes um but yeah no i have a very memorable in, encounter like memory of the t49a's on fourth of july one year yeah I hunting would, auklets so i i would say like at least in my time here in the last nine seasons they are probably one of our more frequently seen natural mm-hmm. lines though not the last year or so but yes so very interesting, really cool family. Um, we'll, you know, talk about them. You'll hear more about them. If you have any questions about any of the whales that we, you know, talk about, feel free to let us know. Um, but yeah, really, really cool, cool family. Six whales, five that usually swim together-ish. One that doesn't gets himself into trouble, you know, <laughs> in saltwater lakes in Alaska. So, yeah, if you have any questions, uh, shoot us an email at afterthebreachpodcast at gmail.com. You remembered this time. I remembered. And uh, check out our photo workshop for next year, our trip for this, to the Silver Bank. If you are enjoying these episodes, uh, share them with your friends, leave us a review, uh, get in touch with us. We really, if you really don't like them, it. don't leave us a review. Right, right. <laughs> But really appreciate you guys listening, especially, you know, when you come out with us on the water and you let us know that you listen to the podcast. We really very much appreciate that. And uh, everyone uh, stay safe out there. (laughs) Stay safe out there.